You're listening to The Real Witches of the End Times, transmissions straight from the underworld. Doom witches, blood wizards, underworld accountants, and cloud people. Welcome back to the Real Witches of the End Times. I'm your host, Mana Aelin, aka Mothmana. And this week, I have Britain, aka Archaic Honey, on Instagram, who I actually found because they posted a photo of their hand covered in blood, and I absolutely loved it. <laughs> um, so far, from what I know of Britain, their approach to witchcraft is very what I describe as very earthy and grimy in the best way. And that is why I wanted to have them on today to hear what they have to say. So if Britton, you want to introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. I'm Britton as Mana or Mana? Both. Both? Okay, because <laughs> I keep wanting to say Mana. Yeah, so I currently am a high desert witch living in Northeastern Oregon. I've been witching for about 13 years now, the magic number. And yeah, currently I'm just full-time witching, working a lot with plants, local ecology, and I teach folks how to practice witchcraft online. So that's what I'm about. That's what I do. Yeah, I love that. I love too that a lot of the content that you post is something that I would say is really helpful for a lot of people who are new as well. Like I've, I've been witching, I would say for maybe seven years now, and a lot of what you've had to say in blog posts or in captions or um, even in um, working with J. Allen Cross has been something I wish I had heard a long time ago. Mm, yeah. Witchcraft for, for folks who are new to it is, what's the word I'm looking for here? It's really intimidating. And there's so much information out there. So I know like when I was a young witch, I was just overwhelmed with information overload and just like having to sift through things on the internet and people who were like gatekeeping in ugly ways and things like that. So I try to make the witchcraft that I practice and know and want to share really accessible to people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And at the same time too, it's very, like, I can't really think of a better word other than like real quote unquote. I'm trying to think of the way Cause I, cause I'm very visual. So I see like colors and things in my head that like describe like the way that you talk about witchcraft on Instagram. And I honestly haven't seen as many people talk about it in, I guess just a very open way. Like you're not really, at least it doesn't seem like you're very concerned about people's perceptions of what some people would describe as like gross or things like that, which I think are very necessary aspects of witchcraft as well. Yeah, it is witchcraft. Witchcraft yeah. is gross and it's dangerous. And I feel that it's like also very visceral and of the body and is really connected to the land that we live on and how that like comes through our body. So that's what, yeah, I don't know. That's just like my witchcraft. <laughs> I know like in the realm of Instagram, it might be, I call myself a ditch witch, mm -hmm. just a dirty ditch witch. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So, and then usually I am covered in grime, like in this, it's winter right now. So I'm indoors a lot, but uh, in the summertime, I'm usually just coated in dirt out picking up roadkill and finding plants and stuff like that. So that, yeah, that's my witchcraft. Yeah, I love that when I saw you called yourself a ditch witch, because for those who don't know, that's also like a tractor, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, it's like construction equipment, but I love their little logo. I have a hat that I like stitched a patch onto, 
And yeah, it's like a witch riding a broom behind or in front of a moon. And it says ditch witch. And I was like, that is my aesthetic. (laughs) (laughs) So great. Yeah. So you're also an herbalist and you have a shop called Blood Moon Botanica that you've been working on different anointing oils lately for. Yes. So I have been a perfumer for also 13 years. It's been a while. I used to own a business before I went into witchcraft full-time making uh, bath and body products. And I was perfuming for that old business as well. And so I left that. That's like my old life. Uh, (laughs) And really wanted to go deeper into anointing oils and crafting the magical oils to use in practice and whatnot. So yeah, that's what I've been working on. I've been really interested in anointing oils for a while because um, I've I've been studying herbalism for a couple of years now, and I it's something that I think has been most interesting to me in my knowledge of herbalism so far is just the different ways to make oils and the different uses because I'm someone who I think it's totally necessary to have what some people would call like esoteric associations with within herbalism because for the most part I just tend to see it really separated. Uh, mm-hmm. If you go and learn herbal practices somewhere, a lot of times it's very um, with, without the, the animism of everything that you're doing, the con- interconnectedness of when you do things, how you create them and energy. And so that's why anointing oils have been partially so interesting as well. And I know you're working on one for, you've had ones in the past for tarot and you're working on more now. I forget which ones you're working on at this time, but um, I just want to ask you about like your experience with anointing oils, like when you have themes like tarot. So I found this dusty old book at Powell's in Portland. It's like a really famous independent bookstore in Portland, mm-hmm. Oregon. And uh, cause I know not everybody's familiar with Portland, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. So I found this book um, that's out of print and I found it on a whim and it was called it was written by Mary Kay Greer. She's written a lot of books about tarot. Mm-hmm. And so she wrote this book that combines tarot with making anointing oils. And it kind of like was the inspiration for me to put my own spin on it. So she has like an outline of, I forgot the title of the book, to be honest with you. She has an outline of corresponding planetary mm-hmm. correspondences with the cards, along with plants that correspond with the planets and then with the cards. So I kind of used that as like a baseline to work with. And then I combined my own knowledge and like personal gnosis and personal knowledge of the plants and also just my intuition to create each individual oil. So what I'll do is I'll pull a card like the fool, for example, I'll pull that card and I'll, I'll sit with it for a while and just really feel into that fool energy. And from there, I use um, like a base, what I would call base notes, like fixative oils that allow longevity mm-hmm. um, in the wear, because I want the oils to be wearable and like something that you can smell for a while. So I work with that and then I build up on top of that to like middle notes and then like top notes. So it is like a perfume blend, but then I add in the 
like the magical component of it. So I'll put herbs into the bottles and then I pray over them. And the hope <laughs> is that I've captured the essence of the fool. So the fool oil that I created, I'm just using that one as an example, has um, a really clean, fresh, kind of like mountainous scent. Mm. So it's kind of like if you're standing on the peak of a mountain, just that crisp, cool air. And then I added in um, some like trees, some like uh, woody notes, just to kind of somewhat stabilize the energy of the fool. (laughs) (laughs) And then because there's this little, you know, the little dog, I think of the dog as kind of like a reminder to stabilize yourself Mm -hmm. in the fool energy. Because the dog's like, hey, buddy, watch out where you're going. And then the part that I love the most about that oil is the white rose that the fool carries in their hand. And so I sourced some uh, white rose oil, which was really expensive and hard to find. <laughs> and that just softened the whole the whole anointing oil. And it was really beautiful. Wow, that sounds lovely, especially the, the white rose part. Yeah, it's really lovely. And it adds a level of innocence to it. It's just like this beautiful heart connection, I feel. I love that you mentioned the planetary associations for for the herbs and cards as well, because mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm teaching a tincture workshop on Sunday. And that's something that I like to show people right away with really basic herbal preparations is how you can incorporate the, the planetary associations of plants, like when you strain them out, when you make preparations and all of those things. So I love that that's all part of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Thinking of like mugwort being tied to the moon mm-hmm. and roses being tied to Venus. I love all those planetary associations. What is your favorite anointing oil you've made so far? Oh, dang. <laughs> I know the favorite question is always really hard and I don't like being asked it, but I still ask other people. Oh no, I love it. I have two. So my attraction oil, it smells like an orange Danish. And by the way, like I do hundred percent botanical oils. Like I don't use synthetics at all. Um, but it smells like an orange Danish and I'm like, gosh, if you want to <laughs> attract something, <laughs> smell like an orange Danish. Um, I've also gotten reports that the oil works phenomenally well. So um, I'm really proud of that one. But my second favorite right now, I'm just really proud of the blend is the Empress. I just wrapped up making the Empress and it is a rooty, fruity, like earthy, herbal, beautiful blend. Um, that I feel really caught the Empress really well. Um, have, have any of the oils that you've made so far, have any of them been your favorite major arcana cards yet? Not yet. I'm really stoked about doing the tower. Mm, That's a yes. favorite part of mine. <laughs> yeah, tower energy. Yeah, I'm really excited about making the tower because I have no clue how that's going to turn out but I have a feeling it's going to be as you would imagine like kind of a shocking like whoa scent Mm -hmm. um and the star which comes after the the tower Mm -hmm. I'm really stoked about making this star I hope to capture the kind of ethereal nature of it yeah I love that in the sequence of the major arcana the star comes after the tower 
Um, and just, and also I learned recently the, the tree in the background of the star is connected to the Egyptian underworld. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, I love that that's all incorporated in a very like healing card. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The star is one of my favorites and I love it's the calm after the storm and the chaos of the tower. Mm -hmm. It's just like this respite that we can receive and be in sanctuary. Do you think if someone were to wear the tower that it would, would the intention be to just embody like the energy of the tower or would it have some type of magical effect on that archetype in someone's life? You know, that I'm still feeling into because yeah, when I think about these major cards like the tower and the devil, for example, cards that were, that not a lot of folks are very comfortable with if you are going through a tower period of time in your life and you're resisting it, I would definitely like spend time with it and wear it and like get mm -hmm. to know it. Um, Cause I, I feel the major arcana represent phases in our life and we've all gone through the tower and yes. we'll go through. <laughs> yeah. And we'll go through the tower again at some point in our life. So it is something you can wear but it's also the intention with those oils is that, yeah, say if you are going through a tower period to connect even deeper with that card and, and spend time with it. Cause you know, we all pull cards where we're like, God damn it. Can I curse? <laughs> can I curse? Is that yeah, okay? Go for it. <laughs> all right. I would be like, God damn it. I pulled the tower or the other day, for example, I pulled the five of cups. I keep pulling the five mm. of cups and I'm like, what is even going on? And I actually like, I pull cards every day and sometimes I get really frustrated with my deck and I was about to put it back in and shuffle again. And I was like, you know what? No, just hang out with the five of cups and really see what it has to say. And so that's kind of like the intention, like if you're gonna wear and utilize the tower oil or like the devil, for example, is to really sit with that medicine because there's medicine in it. Definitely. Do you think you'll ever do oils for any minor arcana? Yes. I want to cool. do, yes. I want to do the Queens mm. first and foremost. I want to do the Queens and then I don't know. I don't, I certainly want, wouldn't want to do the whole deck. I don't. <laughs> think be, maybe I will. That would be an undertaking, but uh yeah, I'm still feeling it into the aces and the queens are kind of what's next once I finish the major arcana. Oh, that would be so cool. I love the aces so much. Yes, all blessings. Totally. I'm trying to imagine. Well, the reason I asked that is I'm trying to imagine in my head what the seven of swords as an anointing oil would be. Mm -hmm. That's the card that I keep pulling um, or other cards that aren't necessarily tarot that point to that. So. It's funny that you mentioned like the five of cups keeps coming up for you because I also have a card that I don't want to see keep coming up for me. Yeah, the seven of swords. That makes me think of like kind of running away with our own energy, mm. you know, and not being prepared, not follow like thinking through on our own like thoughts and whatnot, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, I was thinking of that. And then there's also like the interpretation of like some aspect of deception, which of course, like if the cards are like, beware of deception, it's like, okay, but like, where is it coming from? Right, <laughs> probably from ourselves, you know, we yeah. deceive ourselves all the time. But one thing I love about that card is if you look in the background, 
there's like a have you noticed like there's like a little group of people in the Mm -hmm. background talking amongst themselves and there's like a little storm cloud above it and it reminds me like stay away from gossip yes no gossip (laughs) yes that's such a good point to make i i like to point out too with the three of swords which i haven't been pulling but there is a like the rain cloud is behind the swords it's not directly over the heart with all the swords in it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i was actually thinking about the three of swords this morning and i know this sounds maybe weird or silly but I don't know. Whenever I look at the three of swords, I don't really think about three swords piercing and going through a heart for some reason when I see that card. And I was thinking about how when folks pull that card, it's usually like you're thinking of sorrow and loss, but also like moving through pain Mm -hmm. rather than around it. Cause it's like those swords are in the heart. Yeah. And there's no other way around it than through. And whenever I pull it in a reading, um, I always think of like the swords are already there. And so it's not like you're directly experiencing them going in, like you've said. So that's, I love that you bring that up too. I love hearing people's interpretations of the minor arcana, especially because I think sometimes those get oversimplified. They do. Yeah. And I think the minor arcana in some way, well, all of the tarot is important, but the minor arcana, I think represent like the daily activities of our lives rather than these giant overarching themes that the Mm -hmm. major arcana encompasses. And so like the everydayness of our lives is kind of what's most important in my opinion. Yeah. Like showing up and being present. And I think that's what the minor arcana really highlights. I would go to with some people's interpretation that the minor arcana is how we, the vehicle to which we get to the overarching themes of the major arcana so mm-hmm. that also being daily life, that totally would make sense. Right. <laughs> Have you watched much Xena Warrior Princess? Yes. <laughs> okay. Did you know? I didn't know this until I was re-watching it like years ago. There's an episode that's based on the tarot. What? Yes. And I think Callisto plays the fool and like wow. m- moves through this set of the major arcana. And like goes on this adventure as the fool. <laughs> it's oh my really gosh. cool. Yeah. <laughs> I will have to look that up because I haven't seen that show in forever. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool. A couple of years ago, I was at work and I used to work at a bookstore before the pandemic started. And I, this is like for me, a classic example of just weird stuff finding me specifically, I would say, um, like weird flyers around that I think I asked for. And then the universe is like, oh, here's here's this thing that exactly what you wanted that was really specific. And it was a, a flyer for a cabaret show called Love in the Underworld. Mm-hmm. And the name was just obviously intriguing to me. So I took my friend and we and we had no idea what it was gonna be. And there was like five people in the audience when we went there. And it was um, a woman who had created an entire, um, like she'd written all these songs and it was a journey through the suit of cuffs. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was her, it was a journey through the suit of cuffs, but it was her working through like a really traumatic relationship that had like a lot of assault themes and everything in it. And so- Mm. When I saw it, it was like, this is put such like an extra layer to the cups that I would never have 
added like the amount of sorrow that can be found in almost all cards as well because right. i don't read reversals personally and that's one thing i wanted to ask you as well but if you would i don't cool. high five fellow <laughs> yeah. non-reversal reader we're kind of rare anymore mm -hmm. People ask me that all the time. They're like, why don't you read reversals? And I'm like, the tarot is complicated as it is. Like, yeah, I'm, I like to keep things simple. Mm -hmm. And I think too, if like, sometimes I don't, well, I would say for the most part, I don't really use like one card per spot spreads. I tend to just read more like a sentence. Um, but if I do, like, if I'm asking, I think a good question, I will be able to tell what aspects of the card needs to be highlighted. At, at that point. So I don't really feel like I need the reversals. Um, and I found that when I would try to do them because I thought I had to, it just made things like you said, just even more complicated than they need to be. And mm -hmm. I kind of fell into the trap of just assuming reversal meant opposite, which the opposite of some of the cards in the tarot are just different cards in the tarot. So yeah, it was necessary. Yeah. That's kind of the gist that I've gotten with reversals. It just yeah, like I said, kind of adds a layer of complication that I'm not too interested in going down that dusty road. <laughs> but <laughs> mad props to people who do read with reversals. Mm -hmm. I love listening to folks who read reversed um, and just get the extra insight that they get. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah totally. Everyone reads differently. Mm -hmm. So no shade at all. Yeah, no shade <laughs> whatsoever. What deck have you been using lately? Oh, old writer weight, my first deck, the one that I always <laughs> use. But I also use um, Usi Design Studio, which is also the name of my dog, Usi. <laughs> also makes me think of Usnia. <laughs> it does, yeah. Well, that was part of her name is Usnia, and the name of the uh, deck that I used when I went and adopted her. I pulled a card from this deck. So like, yeah, it's kind of a silly story, but yeah, she was like shredding up Usnia one day because she was a puppy. Aww. I said, Usi, Usnia. I was like, Usi, that's also <laughs> the name of the tarot deck that I used to decide to go get you. But yeah, I used the um, Usi Design Studios uh, Pagan Otherworlds. Oh, I have that deck. Yes, it's one of my favorites. I love that it came oiled. I don't know if you remember that. Oiled? Oh, with the gold? Um, no, like not foiled. When I got the deck, it came oiled inside the package. Oh, really? Yeah. So it was like super like nice when I opened up all the cards. I don't know if wow. you, how long you've had yours, but I've had mine for about a year and a half. Well, I made friends with the creators of the deck and they sent me their first issue, like their test decks that gotcha. they got from their publishers. So this is one of their one of the early decks but no it didn't come oiled that's crazy mm -hmm. that's I wasn't so expecting it at first I was like uh what happened but then I was like no this is on purpose <laughs> right <laughs> that's strange <laughs> but it makes sense so that they like shuffle really well right mm -hmm. out the gate yeah do you ruffle bridge shuffle or do you mix it up I am the worst shuffler on the planet <laughs> I'm not fancy I just I don't know I just shuffle them gotcha <laughs> Yeah, I, I love doing the the ruffle bridge, the ASMR tarot sound into my mic. I don't know if that, I cannot describe that very well, but that deck is like the best tarot deck I have for that. Yeah, it's a really lovely deck. I love it so much. So one thing I also wanted to bring up, as much as I love talking about tarot, and this will, I think will tie into it as well, because I, I do have a couple of different people in my life. Sometimes I just call magic people if they're not um, necessarily witches or 
just magic folks, but a lot of people have either lived on the road in the past or thinking about living on the road now or currently do. And I find in my own experience of the times that I have been on the road, it gets kind of weird out there when you're really into this stuff. And I know that in the past that you've been pretty nomadic and I would love to hear any significant stories or things that have stuck with you from that time. Gosh, well, my last <laughs> note, yeah, I can't, i be honest with you, I can't think of any stories off the top of my head right now. But my last stint of nomadism was when I was long distance hiking. And I spent two and a half years doing like really long hikes, like 1000 mile hikes. Wow. And I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail um, in 2017. And I actually brought with me a really tiny deck of cards and I would occasionally read for people while I was hiking the trail. Um, but it does get pretty weird out there. Like when people would ask me what I would do, I felt fairly free to just describe what it was that I did. I'd be like, yeah, I'm a witch. And like the reactions that I got or the way that I perceived the world even made people very uncomfortable as seeing like trees as sentient, mm -hmm. uh, seeing the land as a living being, not something to be conquered or, you know, like mastered and everything. So just my existence in that community made folks uncomfortable. And it is what it is. It's just what happens when you're a witch. Yeah. Yeah, I, I used to live in a, in a hostel. I find that I would just do a lot of things that I would never, ever think that I would normally do mm -hmm. when, when you're living like that. And especially when I would just be kind of hiking around on different parts of the island or hitchhiking and things. So I know that especially when the solitude aspect comes in, I think it's really cool to have that experience out there, but it definitely does have its own set of challenges. Yeah, for sure. The solitude, I was not very alone when I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail. There's a lot of people out there and eventually you like band together with like a group of like-minded people. And I had two buddies that I was hiking with and the solitude wasn't very often, but there would be like hours of hiking alone and things would get pretty weird, like in my head and in my body. And it was in Washington um, when I was hiking through there, it's like the end of the trail when you're just like at the peak point of exhaustion and you're almost done. And I had some pretty visceral experiences with this old growth forest that I hiked through just listening to them. It's very hard to describe, but it was, it took me that long in my hike to pause because you're just going, going, going the whole time. You're just trying to make it to Canada because mm -hmm. you hike for folks who don't know of the Pacific Crest Trail if you hike it in one season you're trying to walk from Mexico to Canada in one summer so you're trying to do 20 miles a day you're hungry you're sleep deprived etc and by the time I had reached Washington I finally was like hey maybe <laughs> maybe I should check in with the forest and like listen very very deeply and at that time there was a lot of wildfire going on in the forests and what I remember it was very simple was just this like 
calm that the trees had about the fire. They were like, we've withstood this for so many, for so many years, for hundreds of years, we've endured this already. And this is nothing new to us. And it just sort of put into contrast, like my fleeting little life <laughs> compared to their enormous, like hundreds of years old, you know, lives mm -hmm. and whatnot. What year was this? It was in 2017. Okay. Wow. The fires with um, everything, especially this past year, we both live in Oregon. It's interesting thinking about how, I don't know if you had this where you were at, but having to check like the AQI scale on your phone before you even step foot outside. When I would pray, like and be connecting with the trees and everything around, like it is definitely interesting what I would hear as opposed to what all of the people running around would be would be saying about everything. Um, I definitely felt like that was the one of the things that really helped me through this fire season this past year was talking with the trees and everything, which totally are sentient. It's it's stranger to me that people don't think that, but you know. Right. It's really <laughs> weird. Like considering the science that we have now, knowing how trees communicate and support one another, and then also communicate with other plants mm -hmm. and then like the life that the trees hold themselves for other, you know, more than human kin and whatnot. But yeah, this last fire season was one of the worst fires that well, the West coast have seen in a really long time. It was, it was really bad out here where I lived. All the smoke just blew over the mountains and collected. I live in a high Valley. So we get inversions fairly frequently Mm. And the smoke just settled. And yeah, I couldn't see the house across the street from me. Yeah. It was pretty bad. Couldn't go outside. Yeah, it was similar here. I remember I was out for a walk and I have only lived in Oregon at that point for about four months. And so I wasn't aware of how the seasons really affected the area that I was living in. And I was out for a walk in a suburban neighborhood and it was just like all these clouds rolled in. And I thought it was fog. I was like, oh, that's weird. And then I couldn't breathe very well. And I was like, what the hell is going on? So I, I booked it home and then saw that um, a fire had broken out just on the other side of the river. And then mm. for like a several weeks, it was kind of like, oh God, are we gonna have to evacuate today or maybe not? And then ended up going a different direction. But that level of smoke was a lot, especially like its effects on the brain. Mm -hmm. Um, I really, again, I don't really know what I would have, how I would have handled anything had, if I hadn't had some type of practice to really ground myself and connect with source and the universe at that time, because it felt really scary. It was really scary. Cause we had COVID still have COVID yeah. on top, on top of like, oh, we really can't breathe the air mm -hmm. and being trapped in your home, like double time. It was truly an apocalyptic experience, seeing the sky turn red and all of that. But it is a part of the landscape that we live in here. Mm -hmm. We live in a fire ecology. And I think folks forget that. they, The Forest Service has done a really good job, as well as just like lobbyists in timber industry, painting this picture that all wildfire is bad. And it's that's why we have fires, because we've, mm -hmm. we've been suppressing it for so long. So, you know, obviously I'm not like, I'm glad those fires happened, <laughs> not at all, because <laughs> folks, you know, lost their homes, folks perished. 
But at the same time, letting fire happen strategically is really important. And knowing that it's like part of the ecology of the land is really important, I feel. Absolutely. Yeah, I grew up in around Lake Tahoe, which is south of there in California. And we also had a lot of fires as well growing up, but definitely seeing it like get like worse, like every single year has been. Yeah. So yeah. I've been asking different people this because I really like putting things in terms of elements as evident in like, I guess my interest in tarot and plants in general and all sorts of other things. But what do you think about this season? Not necessarily just last year, but this kind of time bubble we're in being like a time of air as an element. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) To be totally honest with you, I don't know. I'm a... um... So for the astrology nerds out there, I have my sun, moon, Mercury, and Venus in Aries. Okay. So it's just like all fire for me 24-7, although my rising sign is an Aquarius, so there's a little bit of air in there. Um, But as far as it's been pretty cerebral, that's for sure. It's been a mind fuck, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's a hard question for me to answer, but I can relate with you yeah it does feel like the element of air is one that i have a difficult time connecting with air and water are the two that are difficult for me to connect with and fire is easy earth is become easier because i need a lot of earth to ground myself uh, because there's just too much fucking fire going on in this body So yeah, I mean, can I turn the tables and ask you how you feel it's connected to air and like what that means for you? I mean, this might be more specific to maybe our region of the world as well, but because of the fires and the smoke, like tear gas from protests, COVID with like lungs and everything, all of that seemed very fumigant air, like literally, and then at the same time, like the the, the mental aspect as well. But I could, again, be totally biased because... Um, I'm not an air sun. I'm a Capricorn sun, but most of my chart is in Aquarius. So (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I might just be pointing all that out. Um, Air is the easiest element that I connect with. And then um, also fire. And then I have a harder time with earth and water. Mm -hmm. But what's funny is it wasn't really until the middle of this year that I realized that I actually thought it was the opposite. I was like, no, I'm an earth and water person. I fucking hate fire and air, blah, blah, blah. And now I know that me saying that is a shadow thing. So <laughs> ah, yes. Yeah. So yeah. So that might, might be maybe a little bit biased on my end, but it, it is interesting to me, like the amount of global traumas or really significant things that have going on because it fires as well or other places in the world that seem really connected to like the lungs One thing I do notice, this is kind of going into plant medicine, is like where we live in the Pacific Northwest, so many of our medicinal plants are lung-centered. Yes, yes. Which I notice. And in Chinese medicine, they relate the lungs to processing grief. Mm. So when, yeah, whenever I get into lung medicine, I'm like, oh, here we go. I got to process the grief. It's time to three of swords, which air element there you are. Yeah. I I've noticed that with, um, with herbs as well, as I've, uh, I've been reading a lot more about like herbs that I had never heard of this year. That was like a fun hobby of just, what is this thing? I have no idea what it is Yay! (laughs) that lives in this area. And so many things like with, with the lungs I found too. And I just noticed from maybe just my own community, but lemon balm as a nervine has been coming up so much 
and mm-hmm. like and antiviral and all those things but um yeah that's one that's really helped me I think through kind of like grief of this time in general as well yeah lemon balm is so wonderful that's one thing I miss about living in western Oregon is the amount of lemon balm that just grows Mm -hmm. wild everywhere. We don't really have that here in Eastern Oregon. Um, The mints that do grow here are usually in somebody's yard or there's wild mint and one that I've been connecting with that does have similar properties to lemon balm and catnip. They have that kind of like nervine sedative quality is a plant called uh, nettle leaf horse mint. And it's pretty trippy. It's just like this giant mint that grows with these beautiful um, pointed shaped flowers and they're bright purple. They're gorgeous. They grow in the the canyon lands here. And yeah, it's been really helpful. I drank some last night with Skullcap and it's been really, yes, Skullcap (laughs) forever and ever. (laughs) But it is this wonderful plant that really like I don't want to use the word sedate because sedate sounds so heavy, Mm -hmm. but it really like calms you down and then activates your dream time. I don't know what it is about the specific mint. Um, It could just be it's wild growing nature, but it's been wonderful to use. So the mint family is so lovely. Yeah. I really like talking about nervines because I think a lot of people don't realize that there's so many different kind of kinds of nervines mm-hmm. too. Like I find lemon balms really uplifting. I can't take lemon balm. Um, I can take it in a tea, but not necessarily in like a, a tincture format or a glycerite if I'm trying to go to bed because I'll actually, I'll feel calmer and then I will want to do stuff as opposed to with, um, if I took catnip or, um, valerian or something that I'd be kind of like ready to go to bed (laughs) right yeah Yeah. that yeah lemon balm does have that like bright uplifting nervine quality to it have you I I like asking people this because when I like years ago when I first started with herbs um I did not understand that there was like a small branch of people that when they would take valerian would have ridiculous dreams. What, where do you fall on the valerian? You know what? I don't know yet. (laughs) I haven't ever used valerian um, in that way yet, but we do have valerian that grows wild here, Sitka valerian. And it is my goal to dig a root uh, this coming fall so I can find out. Okay. Cause I'm like, yeah, which group do I land in? Am I the type who's going to get knocked out? Or am I the type who's going to get activated and have nightmares? <laughs> <laughs> it's such an extreme with that plan. It's like, oh, either you go sleepy time or you stay up all night with bad dreams. The reason why I'm asking is like, I, I'm curious about some of the different, like very distinct differences for the same plant that some people experience. Cause I know even with yarrow, it's like, it can help stop bleeding and start bleeding. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same plant and um, with Fullerian, there being a small group of people that has like insane nightmares. Um, I wonder sometimes if there's correlations between like ADHD or things like that for certain effects. Oh, you I, mean like activating your ADHD yeah. or yeah. Or, so I know for some like people who do take medication, if someone doesn't have ADHD and they take, they take a medication, they have a different, it has a different effect on their body. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I was part of the group of kids in the nineties when, um, they were prescribing Ritalin a lot. And so I was like quite young and was put on Ritalin 
and it made me a zombie like it had kind of an opposite terrible effect than what it was supposed to do for me I think well at least that's what the doctors kind of were like why aren't you still being like calm I mean I was kind (laughs) of calm (laughs) but I just felt dead inside when I was taking it yeah I think there's a lot more going on beyond what doctors just like slap onto us like ADHD is so complex totally you know because it's like are you attentive like an inattentive ADHD person or are you more like hyperactive because like I fall in the uh, inattentive category I'm not terribly hyperactive depends on the day yeah I haven't really figured that out with myself yet because I didn't really realize that a lot of the things I was getting really mad at myself in my adult life about were connected with ADHD pretty much across the board and then when I looked back at my, my time in high school, um, it made total sense. And I thought I was just incapable of like self-discipline and like all of these really frustrating things that people try to explain as normal when they're not. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I, when I describe to people that I'm ADHD, they're like, yeah, I'm a little ADHD too. And I'm like, no, no. you don't get it. Like, Imagine perpetually having a difficult time focusing on stuff, but if something has your attention and you're really enjoying it, like you can hyper-focus. Yeah. And so like people don't understand. It's like, okay, if I have to do all my adult responsibilities, that's going to be a slog, but put me in front of like a bunch of plants, you know, and like, I will not stop to eat, drink or pee. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) finishing my degree was really hard because I just, I had zero interest in it. Like the only thing that even like helped me with that was actually having deadlines when that was still part Mm -hmm. of my life, because I would just wait until the last possible minute to do absolutely everything and then do an entire assignment in a very small window of time. And that was totally possible. And so I knew that I could do everything early or spend more time on all these projects, but I just couldn't get myself to sit down. There was almost like an anxiety that I had to around yeah. of like trying to make myself focus on something that I didn't want to. Right. Yeah. I find that with my ADHD, I feel like I have to have certain things done before I can start another project. Mm-hmm. And if I don't have those other year, like they could be completely nebulous things. If I don't have them done, then I can't focus on this one thing. And, but I still can't get the things done ahead of that project. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, maybe if you're not ADHD, that will not make any sense, but it's a really weird thing. So some days, if I'm having like a bad day, I will just spin my wheels all day having anxiety. Like I can't get this done. I can't get it done because my brain won't let me, mm-hmm. <laughs> but at the same time, it's a gift. I feel I wouldn't change my brain learning that that this is something that I have going on and then recognizing where it kind of plays to being a strength in my life has been really eye-opening. I think it's what's helped me do this podcast even is I'm really into it. And so I can devote a ton of time to the editing process and connecting with people and recording and all everything else that goes along with it, which is a lot more than I think people think after you do it for a little while. Um, And I love it. Whereas if I didn't, I just, I, if I ever, I know at any point lose interest in this, it will be done pretty quickly. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I know that feeling. And yeah, shout out to you for doing this podcast. Like podcasts, I started one myself and they are not easy. Like it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. I think your podcast is really great though with with uh, Jay Allen Cross because oh, I think people need, I don't know. I, I just, sometimes I get, maybe this is something with ADHD too. I just get really excited and I feel very strongly about something and then I'm incapable of, there's no, I can't say anything that expresses what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I really like reading your, your all of your captions and seeing your stories. I, I mean, for me personally, I'm, I'm someone who hovers around like the spiritual communities, paranormal and the occult, like, which I think mm-hmm. get really off in their own group sometimes. And I tend to like dabble in all of it. And so sometimes in certain communities, I will feel like I'm being too gross or like all or the opposite or things like that. And so seeing um, someone like you, who's into a lot of the similar things that I am and just being like, yep, this is what I feel is true for me. Um, it, it's just nice. It's like mm-hmm. solidarity. Yeah. solidarity. <laughs> and then Jay brings the paranormal to the show as well, because he's a paranormal investigator as well. Mm-hmm. And works with a team, I think. So it's really going to be a well-rounded show, I think. But it's been a very intimidating project. I Honestly, I don't know why I started it. <laughs> 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 because I don't feel that I am very good at speaking, which I think is also connected to ADHD. I feel like I can't hold a train of thought for very long and be really good at speaking. So it's been like some shadow work for me, like pushing into the territory of really using my voice and being um, true to myself with my voice and not trying to fit some sort of a mold or something like that, or like soften my words, you know, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Did you find that when you were younger that you didn't feel like you could really speak at all or... I would, you know, it's so funny you asked that because I was thinking about childhood trauma and being that being connected to my voice. And I had someone read, I don't know that much about chakras, but I had somebody do like an energy body reading on me. Uh, it was in Eugene at like, this was pre COVID at a country fair. Oh, the Oregon like country. The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the most hippie thing I could have done. And the first thing they said is they're like, your throat, your throat chakra is closed. And they're like, you need to get that open up and you need to start speaking and using your voice. And no, when I was a child, I had a stutter. Wow. So I had a really difficult time speaking as a child. And my, I was a, I was raised evangelical Christian, very strict Christian upbringing. So it was like children should be seen, not heard type of a situation. I had to ask to speak. Wow. So I spent a lot of my time just like waiting to speak. And then when I spoke, I wasn't heard. So it is like funny that I launch a podcast (laughs) where it's like, oh God, now I have to talk. And I have to process this whole trauma with my voice as a child. Mm-hmm. It's the way to do it, I guess. Yeah, I developed a stutter when I was in high school. Wow. <laughs> because that's when um, I started having people like now want me to speak. And it's funny how that sometimes is connected. And um, since starting the podcast, I found it's just so much easier for me to talk really openly 
to people about things. I, that wasn't even my intention at all. I just started it because I was kind of distraught about everything back in March last year. <laughs> and it was something to do, but it's really helped um, just with speaking in general. And I pull cards sometimes like on the chakra centers of the body. And since I started doing this, um, whenever I pull something for the throat, it's been like a really like uplifting card that I've seen. Wonderful. That's beautiful. Yeah. So I hope that it's helpful in some way for you, however long you do the podcast for. Yeah, I think it will be. It's helping me solidify my own beliefs and and whatnot. I know that probably sounds weird, but it's like when we have to talk about our beliefs, I think it helps kind of solidify them within ourselves, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it, for me at least, I'll, if I talk about something to someone else, I almost remember pieces of it or think of things that I hadn't even thought of before. And I don't know what it is about that, but it's, it almost feels like it like soothes out different, like I guess neuropathways in the brain of, of how we feel. I don't know. I made that up. I'm not a scientist. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know how long I'll do the podcast for, but I, I do think that it has taught me a lot about also like how to have a conversation with people sometimes who don't think the same way that you do and how to like have a, be able to actually talk about things. Cause one, there's a pressure of like, there's an audience listening to this. So I don't want to sound like an asshole. And so <laughs> I develop like better listening skills. It's also just really nice too, on a different note to have kind of like a time capsule of your journey. Right. Yeah. I'm really going to like, we just launched our podcast, um, which is called invoking witchcraft and I'm really curious to see how the show will evolve like in a year's time and like see how my own beliefs and like the conversations that I'm having will evolve over time because you're right. It's like my communication skills are changing. My conversational skills are changing. Like my perception, like knowing that I'm like talking to a person, but also talking to an audience. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like when you're recording, which is funny because we're like doing that right now. (laughs) This is kind of meta. Yeah, it's like it's going to be an evolution and like a process and it'll be fascinating to see how that goes down the road. I found for me, I've had like an example would just be I really had a hard time with angels at the beginning of my podcast. I had like a weird dream and everything about it. And I have an episode just like exploring that. And then now I just do angel magic as part of my practice, which I never, ever would have thought I've ever even touched with like a 10 foot pole a year ago. (laughs) Same, but I don't work with angels yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The people I met along the way have like really brought open all these different perspectives and different ways to think about them. Most thing I got mad about was like this idea of Archangel Michael being like this dude with like washboard abs um like this right. it, it just it never sat right with me and I know that works for some people so that's fine but I didn't have enough understanding of them to see how that would fit into my life but then the more I learned and read and talked to people it was like okay mm-hmm. <laughs> I used the to feel I'm resisting this is because it's again part of my shadow right yeah you know I used to feel that way about flower essences mm. and now I make them <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I had some weird resistance with flower essences. I thought that it was just like some hippy dippy bullshit. And then I did a little bit of reading. I had a friend of mine who combined tarot and flower essences. And then I decided to try and make my own. I kept uh, my first flower essence was um, English daisy. Oh, wow. 
And I just kept seeing this daisy everywhere. And I kept being really, really, really pulled to it. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to make a flower essence and see what happens. And it was like the exact medicine that I needed at that time. And now whenever I'm really pulled to a plant that's flowering, provided that it's like not a threatened species or something like that, I make flower essences of them now and I collect them because they they last forever. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah. And they're really soft, beautiful medicine. Like right now I've been working with pine flower essence. Wow. I guess for those maybe who don't know what that is, a flower essence has like, it's an energy of a plant that interacts with your, with your own body in a way and everything that you're going through. So certain ones can help with different things. Like a lot of the baneful herbs, such as like Datura or um, Belladonna help a lot with like integrating different shadow aspects of the self. Um, I'm really interested in poisonous plants, which is why I'm bringing those up, but um, they help with what you're going through in your life on an energetic level, as opposed to like on a, like an herbal medicine level that most people are familiar with. But I love that English Daisy was the one that first came up for you. Yeah, it's a very soft, inviting, welcoming little flower. And that's the medicine of it is when I made it, I made it um, in the dusk hours. So it was like transitioning from light to dark. So it was like carrying this light with you into dark times. And that was what I was needing at the time because I was like entering into fall and whatnot. These were like late daisies. And yeah, it was a pretty potent experience. It, It really surprised me at how effective they are. Have you ever used a pendulum to divine formulas for yourself? You know what? I do have a pendulum, but I don't use it very often. Um, I think it's because I moved all of my stuff and it's still in a box, but no, I actually don't. I usually pull tarot cards. That's, that's awesome too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, do you usually prefer taking them individually or also putting them into a formula together? I do do blends. Um, but right now I'm working with them singularly. I'm working with buttercup. I'm obsessed mm. with buttercups right now. <laughs> I think because buttercup is our first flower that blooms here in the high desert and it's the flower of spring that spring's coming and the soil's warming up. So I'm just like eagerly awaiting their arrival. Um, But working with buttercup and pine individually. So like some days it'll be a pine day. Some days it'll be a buttercup day. But they both kind of work in conjunction with each other. So yeah, I'm kind of using two right now. So do you take the flower essences, trusting that they're, the flowers are coming to you and then you just kind of see how they affect you? Or do you look into what other people have said they've helped with? Or would you come from, I guess, more from like an intuition-based point or from a research? Both. So if I'm like acutely needing something, I will do research. And I usually go through flower essence services because they have a bunch of literature. They my book's in the other room, but I have like a giant book full of flower essences. And if I'm like, know that I'm acutely dealing with something really specific, I'll look through the book and like, look it up. But for example, if I'm making a flower essence, I usually go off my intuition. Um, I became obsessed with this beautiful, I think it is also a daisy, looks like a daisy, but it's called shaggy fleabane. Wow, I've never heard of that. 
yeah, it's a desert wildflower and it is low growing, has like shaggy leaves and stems and then has a beautiful purple flower and they grow in these just these gorgeous bunches and I could not stop looking at them. I was just like obsessed. So I was like, all right, time to make flower essence. I still haven't quite deciphered what the indicators are for it and what the message is from the flower yet. So it takes time. And I'm as an Aries, a person who's like really impatient, always wanting to have happen things, have things happen <laughs> really fast. I've really been enjoying this process of like creating a flower essence and sitting with it for like a year before I share it with anyone else. Wow. Yeah. So really sitting with it, but I will pull tarot cards with flower essences as well. That's a really good idea. I have a couple that I made this past year that didn't occur to me to pull cards on. So thank you. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. Like some strong messages can come through. Wow. The flower essences, I encountered them for the first time really this year too. And it's been, especially with like certain ones for dreams that I found, like I take a I take one that Persephone's path, she made a blend, like a like, kind of like an elixir blend with mm -hmm. one. Her name's Catherine Sully, but like there's the two different types of Datura in there. It's like Datura Anoxia and Datura Strominium. And then as well as like honey and vanilla and um, brandy, but all, all of it really helps me with like integrating stuff through my sleep. And then I also have sometimes like really intense dreams uh, as well. Yeah, that sounds tasty and beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I wish I could just, I'm not going to, but if I could just drink the whole thing, it's so good. <laughs> it's like the best tasting formula I think I've ever, right. uh, or preparation that I've, I've had, um, to be honest. I love vanilla stuff, so. Mm -hmm. People think vanilla is basic, but when you get that real vanilla, oh my gosh, it's so mm -hmm. good. I wonder if you could do, you could probably do a vanilla flower essence because it is a flower. It does mm -hmm. have, yeah. I wonder what that would be. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's an orchid. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Wow. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Now we're about like <laughs> ideas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you also have a online membership. It's called Praxis of the Witch for people who are interested in learning about witchcraft and building their own practice and things like that. Right. I do. Yes. Um, it is a open and closed membership. I open it up periodically and it's for folks who want to build a daily witchcraft practice uh, for embodiment. And I built the course because I had a need for that when I was a baby witch. Um, like we started the show off talking about how witchcraft can be really overwhelming at the beginning like if you're new to it mm -hmm. or even if you're not new to it and you're just like trying to find information it's it's kind of a pain in the ass especially with the age of the internet and there's so much information just pinging off the walls I created this course to really simplify things for folks if they feel resonant to what it is that I have to share so it is an eight-month program where it helps you build up to a daily witchcraft practice and daily practice to me is kind of like the root of embodiment when it comes to witchcraft because it's not something that we do when we light a candle 
you know, it's like, or we aren't witches when we light a candle. We aren't witches when we're like celebrating, like in bulk is coming up um, at the time of this recording and things like that. Like we are every day. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to offer up practices and facilitate space for folks to explore what a daily practice can look like for them. Yeah, it sounds wonderful. I'm, I'm happy to hear that there's more courses like that. I am seeing now because there was a time where I, it was like, I could, I never saw a lot of stuff about how to like build anything like really foundationally. And I get people sometimes that'll pop up, they'll email me or they will message me on Instagram asking if there's any place that I can point them for like beginner witchcraft stuff. And my next question is like, well, what type are you talking about? <laughs> like, it, um, I think sometimes there's a misunderstanding of it all being one thing, but there's a million different avenues and the foundational piece, I think, I, I haven't taken your course or I don't know what is fully in there, but it sounds like it's it's something also to like help p- point people in a direction once they're mm-hmm. able to build something for themselves to see what they are interested in. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's really foundational practices. Like, um, it starts off, I mean, a lot of people will kind of eye roll, but it starts off with like journaling um, and building a journaling practice because I feel journaling is really key in having a magical practice because when we write down our experiences, it gives us proof of our magical efficacy. Yeah. So we're able to like be like, okay, I made this thing happen or this didn't work. And then I move into um, grounding and centering practices, uh, doing protection work doing cleansing work, working with spirits and things like that. So just like really baseline foundational stuff that really gets overlooked in Mm -hmm. um, a lot of like spheres of witchcraft on the internet. Everybody's like posting just pretty pictures of their crystals and their stolen white sage and (laughs) like, oh, I mean, it's beautiful curated stuff, but it's just that it's curated a lot of the time and yeah I want to see the real raw rich witchcraft like see what folks are really doing Mm -hmm. I saw on your website too you quoted Peter Gray have you read apocalyptic witchcraft it's my bible mine too (laughs) love that I'm a huge fan manifesto in there I was like this is a good manifesto I can get behind this one yes yes that's one of my all of Peter's work uh is one of my favorite it was like my favorite uh his essay rewilding witchcraft is something that I read fairly regularly at least every few months I go back to that just to remind myself I think a quote from that essay is the witch was created by the land to speak and act for it and that is the crux of it all and I think in this modern age of like vogue witchcraft people are forgetting that it's the land Mm-hmm. that we are beholden to like it holds all life on our planet <laughs> mm-hmm. you know and orienting our witchcraft around that like that's the root yeah. and people get really tied up and forget like why we're here and what the work we're supposed to be doing mm-hmm. one piece of the manifesto from apocalyptic witchcraft that has stuck with me a lot for some reason it's just we will not be disarmed yes as well yes <laughs> So we are at about an hour and I want to give you uh, a chance here to just totally plug everything. So go for it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how to begin. Um, 
So I can be found on the internet at archaichoney.com and praxisofthewitch.com. I can also be found at Archaic Honey on Instagram. And I launched a podcast with my good friend, Jay Allen Cross. He's known as Oregon Woodwitch on Instagram. And our podcast is called Invoking Witchcraft. We have a trailer episode up right now, but we might drop our first episode early because we're really excited about it. <laughs> is he at Aries as well? Oh, yes. Okay. It's the, it's the Aries show. <laughs> It really is. Well, if you would like to find me, you can find me at mothmana.com for information on readings and a gallery of my digital art. You can also find me on Instagram at mothmanatarot and on Twitter at manaalen. And if you'd like to support the podcast and join the hordes in my underworldian city, that's going to be patreon.com slash mothmana. So thank you again, Britton, for being here today. It was fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. And it was such a pleasure to chat with you.